You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. So Philippians chapter 3, verses 12-16. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So this is the word of God for the people of God today. Would you join me in prayer, Father? Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as strange as it is to um, preach to a mostly empty room, um, to a camera in the back of the room, Lord, I trust this morning, as always, that your word is powerful and that your word, when preached, when heard, when studied, when digested, when fed upon, powerful and is intended to do a work of transformation in those who would hear and listen and apply and so father today as we look at your word i pray that you would do a work of transformation in our hearts i pray god that you would reveal to us um, the things in our lives that we have been chasing after and that in the midst of that you would draw us to the foot of the cross in the doorway of the empty tomb and give us once again the hope of heaven. Remind us of how much you went through to chase us down so that you might possess us and get a grip on us as your children. So God, I pray that that message would be clear and that you would do that work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I've got a few questions for us today that I hope would kind of help to uh, get your heart and your mind headed in the direction that I think the Lord would take us in this text. And the question that I have to start us off is pretty basic and pretty simple. The question is this, what are you chasing? Uh, it's really, it's, it's the title of the sermon too, and it's, uh, it's going to be the question that you continue to hear up as I work my way through this. What are you chasing? And when you think about that, there's other questions that uh, um, kind of flow out of that. You probably see it on the screen as well. What are you chasing? What, what, what race are you running? When you think about chasing, you think about racing. So what race are you running? Uh, what is it that has a grip on you? Or what is it that is your finish line? When you say, hey, when I get there, I will have arrived. What is your finish line? And in the midst of this race, in the midst of the chasing, in the midst of the running, what is it in your life where you maybe feel stuck? Um, so we oftentimes refer to life as a rat race. As though we are racing against other rats in a maze that is full of these twists and turns, right? Now, while I'm not fully convinced that uh, it's appropriate to refer to each other as rats, unless you're Italian, of course, um, I'm not sure that it's uh, appropriate to refer to each other as rats, um, does, though, seem like this life that we live, this race that we're running, so to speak, 
Uh, it's a life that is full of twists and turns, difficult ups and downs, awesome highs, really terrible lows, trying seasons, difficult seasons, suffering. <clears throat> if you don't pay attention um, to what's going on around you, especially in terms of suffering, um, suffering can cause you to come unglued, to lose your focus, to stall out in this race. Now, if you've ever watched a race of any kind, whether that be something like NASCAR or cross-country track, you know, 400-yard dash, sprint cars, um, horse races, whatever races maybe you've watched, if you have, then, then you know that there are a few things that matter in every kind of a race. Things like traction, things like the finish line, uh, things like the gas that you have in your tank. These are really important things. If you think about it, uh, you're not even running a race if you don't have any traction at all, right? You're not even running a race if you don't have a finish line to head towards. You're not running a race if you don't have any gas in your tank. If you don't have any of those things, you're either spinning your wheels, uh, racing around aimlessly, or stuck on the side of the road. And when we talk about traction, let's take these uh, one at a time just for a minute. When we talk about traction, what we're talking about is we're talking about getting your wheels or, or your shoes or your feet to kind of get a good grip on the track that you're running on, right? Uh, you're trying to get a hold on the track so that, that track then holds you steady. Um, when we talk about the finish line, just defining some terms here, when we talk about the finish line, what we're talking about is we're talking about keeping the end of the race in your mind. Talking about keeping the, the, the end game in front of you, keeping your eyes focused on that. Why? Because if, if you don't keep your eyes focused on the intended goal, the, the finish line, then you're going to wind up veering off course. You're going to start heading in the wrong direction. This is, this is where we talk about having a vision for your life of what the end of the road is going to look like. Now, when we talk about having gas in the tank, um, what we're talking about is we're talking about this kind of an endurance that keeps you going. Uh, it's talking about, we're talking about the kind of speed that you need to continue to run the race, to, to make it to the, the, the end, to make it to the finish line. The kind of gas that you have in the take dic dictates your endurance, but it also dictates the speed by which you will run that race. The kind of fuel that you put in your tank is important so that you don't wind up stuck or broke down or stalled out on the side of the road. So those are just defining some terms as we think about what it is that each of us are chasing. Ask that question of yourself again. What am I chasing? Chasing a paycheck? Or chasing a relationship? Or chasing some kind of comfort. Uh, in this day and age, we, we chase a lot of security. We're just a few days away from a pretty big presidential election that has caused a lot of us, probably all of us, if we're honest, to experience certain levels of anxiety, um, which is an evidence of a lack of trust in our lives. Again, 
fuel in your tank. What the Apostle Paul doesn't want for the Philippian believers is he does not want them to lose traction. He does not want them to lose focus on the finish line. He, he does not want them to uh, run on the wrong kind of fuel. He wants them to run the race well. He says this in chapter 1, verse 27, the verse that I reference almost every week because I believe it to be kind of the core and the point of the entire text, right? Uh, Paul wants the Philippians to live their lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel as citizens of heaven. So this uh, worthy of the gospel kind of life, this kind of life is going to require that the Philippians navigate all the twists and the turns and the ups and the downs, the difficulties, all the suffering of this life. They're going to need to navigate that race, that racetrack with a steady kind of a resolve and an intense kind of focused and a continued progress what the Apostle Paul is looking for. Let me think about suffering one more time. Think about suffering one more time. Suffering has a unique way of throwing us off track, throwing us off course, distracting us from the most important goal. It has a tendency to slow us down. But you think about suffering in another way. Think about suffering in the hands of a sovereign God. And the reason that I mention this is we know that the Apostle Paul is sitting in prison. He's suffering for the gospel. The Philippians, in some regards, will be suffering for the gospel as they live in that little town of Philippi, a little um, Rome, they would call them. They wanted to be Romans so bad, the Philippian... Um, the Philippian culture did, um, they would be suffering in many different ways. And so when you think about suffering, sure, it can throw us off track, it can distract us, it can slow us down. But suffering in the hands of our sovereign Father in heaven who is good and He's kind and He's patient and He's purposeful, that, that kind of suffering can produce a kind of a worthy of the gospel godliness that honestly the joys, the momentary joys of this life can never produce. One scholar, author, <coughs> he says it this way. He says that suffering for Christ is like a sacred racetrack that produces a deeper knowledge of Christ and a deeper fellowship with Christ. Think about that. The kind of knowledge and the kind of fellowship you have with Christ because your loving Father allowed suffering to come into your life. At the end of the day, suffering causes us to chase something. (coughs) Suffering always has a tendency to create a vacuum and a hunger and a thirst and a motivation inside of us to chase something. Therefore, the question is, what are you chasing? What are you chasing? I want to look at what the Apostle Paul was chasing in the text we just read. And the first thing that I notice is in verse 12. I notice that the Apostle Paul is chasing Jesus. Now, I know many of you might be like, well, that's a real Sunday school answer, Pastor. You really studied a whole bunch to get that one, didn't you? Yeah, well, yeah, I did. Um, 
it's simple yet profound at the same time and extremely hard too when you, when you think about what it means to chase Jesus. See, at the end of the day, um, we chase the things that have a hold on us. We chase the things that have a grip on us. We chase the things that have captured us. Now, this is why the Apostle Paul says that he, he hasn't crossed the finish line yet, right? He's still on this track of chasing Jesus because as he says it in verse 12, it's not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. It's a picture of chasing. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. The Apostle Paul is chasing Jesus. Why? He's chasing Jesus because Jesus has chased him down. Jesus had this super-glued grace grip on the Apostle Paul's life. Traction. You see, Paul's quest to know Jesus fully was matched, on the other hand, by his humility. I say it again. Paul's quest to know Christ completely, fully, more intimately, was matched, equaled by the evidence of his own humility. Paul knew that he was not yet perfected. He hadn't arrived at perfection. You see, perfection in this life, this side of heaven, even then and still today, is oftentimes promised to us. Perfection is promised to us by the twisted theology of prosperity preachers, the twisted theology of legalists, who rely on human performance to produce said godliness. But the truth, as you, as you study this, you study Paul's life, you study the Bible, you study theology, you spend time with God, you find out the truth is this. The more and more that we come to know Jesus, truly know Him intimately in time with fellowship with Him, hearing from Him, the more that we come to know Jesus, not know about Him, but know Him in relationship with Him, then the more that we come to know the depth of our need for growth, our imperfection. The more that we come to know His perfection, the more that we come to know our imperfection, and in the midst of that, as that knowledge grows we grow closer to jesus because we recognize and realize that it's his perfection alone that can sustain us so the more and more that we come to know jesus the more that we will actually come to know our need to grow here's here's an interesting um thought too that i came across in my study this week in, in regards to chasing jesus Think about this, this concept of spiritual dissatisfaction. You might write that down. Spiritual dissatisfaction. Oftentimes we, come, we become satisfied spiritually. Um, which is like, you know, after you eat a really good meal, you're like, man, it's Thanksgiving. I just ate more than enough turkey. I don't need any more. <laughs> um, you become satisfied. Then what happens? You get sleepy. You start to fall asleep. You veer off track. You lose some of your traction. So spiritual dissatisfaction would be the opposite of spiritual satisfaction, okay? 
That's interesting in the Christian life because in the Christian life, um, it's, it's a both and. Uh, we live our lives being continuously satisfied by Jesus and all of the work that he has done on our behalf at the cross and the empty tomb with the promise of heaven. We become increasingly satisfied like the woman at the well whom Jesus said, man, if you knew who I was, I would give you a drink of water that would leave you satisfied. You'd never thirst again, physically speaking. But spiritually speaking, we'd continue to thirst for more because what we're drinking, what we're feasting on in Christ is so good that we're dissatisfied this side of heaven that we don't have more, so we begin to want more. It's a, it's a cycle. Spiritual dissatisfaction is, is, is really a blessed state for us to be in. Why? Well, because it means that we continue to chase Jesus. So are you, are you spiritually satisfied this morning? Or are you spiritually dissatisfied? Oh, I would, I would pray that the Holy Spirit would take you to a place where you would say, I am spiritually dissatisfied because... I want more and more of Jesus. That you would begin to chase Jesus. Because really in this chasing of Jesus, what Paul is saying is that he's chasing perfection. If indeed he may even come close to seizing that perfection. Because he had indeed been seized by Christ who is the essence of perfection statement that I came across this week in my study. You see, when you, when you read this text, you, you get this kind of under this picture of, of, of obtain and seize, right? Um, it, it's, it's pursuit. It's chasing. It's, it's obtaining and seizing. This kind of language of chasing after something that you want to seize hold of. That, that permeates this text. And the reason that I believe um, the Apostle Paul um, has placed this language in here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, obviously, um, is because uh, the Apostle Paul is being reminded. He's being reminded of the Damascus road, the road to Damascus where Jesus Christ had pursued him. Jesus Christ had chased him. And on that road, Jesus Christ had obtained the Apostle Paul. He had seized the Apostle Paul as his own possession. You think back to the day that you first came to the knowledge of what Jesus had done for you and who Jesus is and what he wants for you. You think back to that day when you first began to follow Jesus because he gave you a brand new heart and gave you the faith to do so. When you recognized his grace, his kindness, his patience, and his love towards you. Think back to that day. It's the day that I think Paul is thinking back to. It's the day that Jesus chased him down and took hold of him. See, Paul wants to know Christ because Paul is simply in the grip of Christ's grace. Paul's whole pursuit of Jesus was actually originated, motivated, and propelled by Jesus Himself. You see, in the message of the Gospel, there is absolutely no room for a blind or bland, middle-class, kind of middle-of-the-road ethic that strives to be neither hot nor cold. 
the gospel allows room only for an intense, focused pursuit of chasing Jesus. And that will be there in your life if Jesus has chased you down and made you his own. So what are you chasing? If we're wired to chase the things that have a hold on us, the things that have a grip on us, the the things that capture us, then what are you chasing? What has a hold on you? What has a grip on you? What has captured you? Do you have the traction that you need to run this kind of a worthy of the gospel life in a God-honoring way? Or are you just spinning your wheels? The Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul was chasing Jesus. That leaves us with the question for us, who or what are we chasing? Now the second thing that I noticed the Apostle Paul is chasing in this text is heaven. I know, again, really simple. (coughs) Apostle Paul is chasing heaven. (coughs) Now the reality for us in this life is that every one of us is chasing a finish line, okay? Somewhere deep down inside, whether subconsciously or consciously, we we are chasing an end game, a a goal, a vision of what we believe will fulfill our deepest desires. What is that vision that you have? What is the finish line for you? What, What is the end game, the goal of your life? You might say, man just want to be a better father, I just want to be a better wife, I, I just want to be a better Christian, um, I want a bigger house. I don't know what it is for you. What, what are you chasing in terms of the end goal? <clears throat> the Apostle Paul was chasing heaven. This is why in verses 13 and 14, look at it with me, he says this, it says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Catch that. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, the finish line that the Apostle Paul was chasing was the finish line of heaven. Paul's pursuit of heaven, when when you think about his pursuit of heaven. It was a, comes across as a really focused, really intense pursuit. So what the Apostle Paul knew is he knew that if, if he spent his life looking backward in, in, in the rearview mirror, if he spent his life doing that, it would cause a loss of intense, forward-thinking, visioneered focus on the goal that was in front of him. Namely, the goal of heaven. Paul knew that the end of the race, the finish line, if you will, that that finish line is actually what gives us direction. It's it's what keeps us heading in the right way. Gives us the endurance. Gives us the speed we need. Paul says, I do not consider that I have made it my own. What's he saying? Saying he hasn't arrived yet. It's the danger of arrival. Anytime you think you've arrived, you become satisfied. No longer dissatisfied. He's saying that he hasn't arrived yet. Despite all of his accomplishments, we we read some of those um, back in the earlier portion of chapter 3. Despite all of the Apostle Paul's accomplishments in this life, that honestly, he viewed 
as filthy rags and a pile of dung. Now, the Apostle Paul, when I think when he says those things, he's not like sitting in the corner, sucking his thumb in despair. The Apostle Paul is just simply acknowledging the truth that all of the good things, all the accomplishments he had done in this life, they're like filthy rags, pile of dung in comparison to the goodness of Christ. Paul knew that he hadn't attained perfection yet. Why does he know that? Because he's simply not in heaven yet. Well, this is why the Apostle Paul kept chasing heaven. That's why I say that. Heaven was his finish line. Heaven was the thing that was out in front of him that motivated him and, and drove him, pulled him, propelled him forward. This is the goal of his life was that he might be in heaven, that he might attain the resurrection as he said a few verses ago. Now, when the Apostle Paul says that he is forgetting what lies behind and that he's straining forward to what lies ahead, I had an old friend of mine um, that said this. He said, hey, uh, the word forgetting in this text, that word forgetting doesn't mean forgetting. And I was like, heresy. Burn you at the stake. It says forgetting in my Bible. Okay. His point is, is that forgetting doesn't necessarily mean forgetting in the way that we think of forgetting. What Paul is saying in this text, when he uses that word, forgetting what lies behind his strength, forward to what lies ahead, he's saying that he's not spending his life looking in the rearview mirror. Any moment that you and I take our eyes off of what's in front of us and begin to look in that rearview mirror behind us, what we're doing is we're taking our eyes off the prize of what Paul calls the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, you think of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, what does that make you think of? Going to heaven. That's what that makes me think of. It's the upward call is I'm, I'm heading to heaven. This life is not my home. This earth is not my home. Right? You and I, if we've trusted in Christ, we're aliens in this place. Uh, that we should not arrive at a place of pure comfort this side of heaven outside of Christ's presence. No matter what happens in politics, no matter what happens with COVID, no matter what happens in your marriage, your finances, your kids' lives, for me, planting a church, no matter, no matter what happens in any of these earthly realms, all of those things are mere earth. There's going to be dissatisfaction in those things, frustration. And the reason for that is it's a great reminder that there's no perfection to be found this side of heaven. Heaven is our finish line. The rearview mirror, looking backwards at my failures, the rearview mirror looking backwards even at my accomplishments. <coughs> no matter what kind of a rearview mirror, no matter what your rearview mirror is tinted with, whether it be accomplishments or failures, it's a mere distraction from the finish line of heaven. Don't spend your life there, looking in the rearview mirror. Spend your life looking through the windshield, the finish line of heaven. Paul was chasing heaven because no earthly finish line could ever compare with the beauty and the perfection of eternity with Christ Jesus. So what are you chasing? What is the finish line for you? Be honest about that. Like, it's okay to be honest and say, man, I've had my eyes locked in on this whatever it may be, might possibly be a really, really good thing that you've made an idol out of. 
What is the finish line for you? What's the end game? What's the goal of your life? What's the vision that drives you? The the deepest desire that you have. What finish line do you have in mind? Have you caught yourself just wandering around aimlessly touting your accomplishments or despairing in your failures of the past? Focusing on the aimlessness of your performance? Don't live there. The Apostle Paul chased the finish line of heaven. What are you chasing after? What am I chasing after is the question that begs. There's a third thing that I see the Apostle Paul chasing uh, in, in our text in verses 15 through 16. I see him chasing maturity. <coughs> I see Paul chasing maturity. So getting stuck in the mud is no fun, you know, unless you have a big four-wheel drive. And even then, if you get stuck and you're in a big four-wheel drive, eh, it's not much fun. Been there, done that. Getting stuck on the side of the road in a broke-down vehicle, done that too. Figure many of you have. Um, getting stuck on the side of the road in a broke-down vehicle, that, that's even less fun than getting stuck in the mud. <clears throat> Running out of gas is a pain too. <laughs> um, and the reality uh, of this life Um, is that every one of us can easily get stuck in the mud, right? We can experience major breakdowns. Um, Sometimes we just run out of gas, got no gas left in the tank, feel like we're stuck in our maturity. Sure, many of you (laughs) listening to this can go, yeah, I've I've had lots of seasons where I feel like I have not matured. I'm no different than I was a year ago. That can be really discouraging. Typically happens um, when we do one of two things. So. Think about this. When we get stuck in the mud, it's typically because we have either on the one hand overestimated our ability or underestimated the cost of the journey. Those are the two things, two ditches on the side of the road that we have a tendency to fall into, right? We overestimate our ability. We think, ah, I mean, I got, I'm fine. No problems. Don't need to read my Bible. Don't really need to be in fellowship with the saints. Don't don't, don't really need to be spending time in prayer. Uh, I think I'm doing okay. I got this. I feel all right. We base a lot of things on feelings. Overestimate our ability. On the other side, we underestimate the cost of the journey. We, we, we forget that when hardship comes, we're going to need gas in our tanks, right? We, we forget that even when good times come, we need motivation and gas in our tank to continue to pursue Jesus, So that's what I mean when I say we either overestimate our ability or we underestimate the cost of the journey. It points back to the image that Jesus called us to when he called us to become disciples. It wasn't to become a member of a church. It wasn't to become a better person. It wasn't to get my marriage fixed. didn't call you or I to become Christians for any of those reasons that we commonly use. I just love the people here. Great, glad. Like, that's good. I hope you do. There are going to be days when you don't love people there much either. What did Jesus call us to when he called us to discipleship? Leave everything behind and pick up a cross and carry it. It's a rant and a rave I love to get on because it's convicting to me. I know it is to many of you. So when we, when we begin to overestimate our ability and we begin to underestimate the cost of the journey, what we're doing is we're trading the cross of Jesus that we were meant to carry for something easier. The Apostle Paul um, would neither overestimate his ability nor underestimate the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this is why he said, let those of you who are mature think this way. 
I read that and I go, well, I, that seems really hard for me to um, think that Paul's talking to me. As he says, let those of you who are mature think this way. And I'm like, well, I don't think I'm all that mature, so I don't have to listen to that. Well, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm underestimating the cost. He moves on and says, and if in anything you think otherwise, well, that's a good rebuke to what I was just thinking, isn't it? If in anything you think otherwise, because if you don't, if you don't think this way, God will reveal that also to you. So I love Paul because he, he leads with grace. He's like, hey, if, if you're not tracking with me on this, I'm just going to trust that God is going to reveal that to you. I don't need to force you there. Um, but the Apostle Paul is still faithful to say what needs to be said. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Meaning, don't go backwards. If you've attained a certain level of growth, stick with it and move on. The Apostle Paul is simply letting the Philippians and us know that he himself is still chasing maturity after 30 years. It's been 30 years since the Damascus Road. Still chasing maturity after 30 years of chasing Jesus and chasing heaven. That's encouraging to know that a man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and walking with Jesus for 30 years is still chasing maturity. I could take a lot of humility to say that, which is why I said earlier, Paul was a man who wanted to fully know Christ, and that desire, that pursuit, was fully matched by this continually growing humility in him. Still chasing maturity after chasing Jesus and chasing heaven for, for 30 years. Here's the reality. Um, when we talk about maturity, <clears throat> I think a lot of preachers, and I'm sure I've even done it, um, I can't recall, but I'm sure that I have. I know my personality and my wiring. I'm driven, right? Everything's a fight. Fight our way through it. So oftentimes that comes across as me really pushing people too hard. Um, when you talk about maturity, it's really easy to do that. It's just easy to slip into like browbeating. Like, oh, you are so flipping immature. You need to grow up. All of you parents on the other side of the screen or anybody who's married, you know you've done this with your spouse or your kids at least once or twice in the last 24 hours probably. Um, this is the thing about mature people. Mature people keep advancing in, in this pursuit of being transformed in their relationship with Jesus. Let me say this again. So I want us to get a picture of what maturity looks like. Mature people keep advancing in the pursuit of being transformed in their relationship with with Jesus. Now here's, here's what I don't have time to do, but I'm going to lay it out real, real quick. If you were to do a, a study through all of the epistles written by, um, written by Peter and Paul and John, if you were to do a study through all the epistles, and you could even go into the Old Testament and do this as well, just do a, like a systematic study of what maturity looks like, you're going to find a whole bunch of people in Scripture that would, that would uh, like progress and then turn around and go backwards again. It's like, what, David, what are you doing? Like, you, killed, you killed a giant with stones, and now you're sleeping with the girl next door. What's wrong with you, right? It doesn't look like maturity. You'd hear Paul in Romans 7 saying things like, hey, the things that I don't want to do, that's what I keep doing. Things that I do want to do, that's what I don't do. Who's going to get me out of this body of death? Then he goes into Romans 8. Then there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The idea is 
the idea of mature people that keep advancing in the pursuit of being transformed in their relationship with Jesus is this long trajectory from the beginning of the relationship to the finish line. Sometimes you need to take a look at right now what's happening in your life and say, oh, I'm starting to go backwards. I'm looking in the rearview mirror. I'm spinning my wheels in the mud. I've gotten off track. I've lost a vision. I need to get back on track. I need to get out of the pit. I need to get back on and start moving forward again, right? It's kind of this continual progression of growth. So mature people keep advancing in that pursuit of being transformed, changed in their relationship with Jesus. Pacing. It's really important, okay? <laughs> there are races that we watch where they're racing those cars around the track 200 some odd miles an hour. I can tell you, though, if you, if you pay attention in some of those, you know, when they hit certain corners, they slow down tremendously because if they don't, they'll lose control. So pacing in terms of growing in maturity is really, really important. There's going to be times where you're going to look at your life and you might think, man, I just, I just took like three steps back. When in reality, yeah, maybe in that moment, but if you were to take a, a broader look at the picture, you were to step back and, and view the whole track, what you might see is that actually you just slowed down and you're crawling inch by inch rather than running block by block or rather than running mile by mile. You get what I'm saying? In terms of speed. So pacing and speed is really important when you think about growing in your maturity as you, as you advance in the pursuit of being transformed in your relationship with Jesus. The overall picture is this. People who chase maturity don't ease up because they fail or because they succeed. And that's something that we, as we mature, have to learn. That, oh, I failed, let's not ease up. Let's not give up and tap out. Or, oh, I succeeded, let's not get my eyes off the prize here. Let's keep pursuing maturity, keep pursuing growth and transformation. That's what mature people do. They press on. They continue to make progress. When you think about the Apostle Paul, here's the thing. The Apostle Paul died as a man who ran not only for, but he also ran after Christ. He chased Jesus for the glory of Jesus. So my prayer is that we would all die. Not now. But that when we die, we would all die chasing after Jesus for the glory of Jesus. So what are you chasing? Is it anywhere possible that, that what you've been chasing is actually something that is causing you to get stuck? Is it possible that, that what you've been chasing is actually something that is causing you to break down? Is it possible that, that what you're chasing is actually something that causes you to run out of the right kind of gas that will give you the endurance and the speed that you need to continue making progress are you stalled out in your journey stuck on the side of the road you see the fuel in the apostle paul's tank was this intense pursuit of of jesus and he had a clear vision of the finish line of heaven and that was joined together with this focused commitment on chasing maturity so what what, what are you chasing i want to wrap this up and the way that we always wrap this up, the way that we always conclude is by trying to make some application. We ask this question, why is this important? And the answer is this, th this is important because life, like I said earlier, is like a race. It's full of twists and turns, full of ups and downs, full of difficulty, full of suffering. 
And here's the thing, on this racetrack that we call life, we can either lose our traction, get stuck in the ditch, ditches of legalism, licentiousness, or we can lose our vision for the finish line, wind up running around in circles, aimlessly boasting of all of our accomplishments, despairing of our failures. Or we can wind up running out of gas, right? Get left stalled out on the side of the road, broken down, stuck in a rut. That's why this is important. So I ask you again, what are you chasing? What has a grip on you? What is the finish line for you? What's been the end game for you? What is it that causes you to get stuck? Whatever your answers are to those questions, the absolutely great news that we need to hear all the time and the great news that we need to hear every time we open our Bibles and study them is that Jesus actually ran this race for us. Jesus never lost traction. Jesus kept his eye on the finish line. He ran this race with a tank that was overflowing with the fuel of the power of the Spirit. Full of the grace of God, Paul ran this race. When you think about what it means to live a life that is worthy of the gospel as a citizen of heaven, then you have to remember the cross. You have to remember the empty tomb. And you have to remember the promise of heaven. Because here's the thing. Because of the bloody cross, then you and I, if we've trusted in Jesus, we've been chased down. We've been seized by the grace grip of a Savior who never lets us go. Because of the empty tomb, we know that absolutely nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He loves you completely. If you've trusted in Him, there's nothing you can do, neither good nor bad, that could separate you from the love of the Father in Christ Jesus. Because of all that, man, the hope that we have is that nothing in this life, I don't have to live in frustration. I don't have to live in anger. I don't have to live in despair. I don't have to live in anxiety, worry. I don't have to live there. Why? Because I have the hope of heaven. That's my finish line. Perfection. No more tears. No more sickness. No more pain. No more sin. No more brokenness it's my finish line it's yours too if you trusted in him it's because we have the hope of heaven as our finish line then what we can do is we can chase this ever deepening need for growth in christ we can chase this ever deepening need for growth in spiritual maturity until we step across the finish line and get the prize, the ultimate prize of the presence of absolute perfection in Christ Jesus. <coughs> so what has a grip on you? What is the finish line for you? What causes you to get stuck? What are you chasing? And my, my final encouragement to you is this, that you would submit your life 
to the foot of a bloody cross where Jesus hung, where Jesus died to pay the price and the, and, and the penalty for your sin. And not only to pay the price for it, but to take it away from you. We pray that you would spend time in the doorway of an empty tomb where Jesus rose from the grave. He's the only person whoever rose from the grave and then simultaneously shared that resurrection with you and me. Victory over Satan, sin, and death. I pray that you would hold fast to that. And in so doing, that you would hold fast to the hope of the promise of heaven. And that you'll run this race with traction. That you'll run this race with vision. That you'll run this race with a kind of fuel that helps you to face anything that comes against you in this life. And that as you'll do so, what you'll do is you'll live a life that is worthy of the gospel as a citizen of heaven. Amen? Let me pray. Father, we do thank you. We do thank you that you ran a race in Jesus Christ to come and to save us. And that in the cross, in the empty tomb, in the promise of heaven, in the power of your presence, we are enabled to run this race with traction, with vision, with a keen focus on growing more and more in our relationship with you. And I pray, Father, that you would use our time in the Word today to transform people's lives, that you would reorient the goals that they've been chasing, that we've been chasing, that you would that you would get a fresh grip on us, that we might get a fresh grip on you, and that you would promote even an inch of growth in our lives. I trust you to do that work. Pray God that you would help us as we praise you in music over the next few moments. We love you. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.